Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Join Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app with more than 3 million members. You can win up to 25 times your money by picking more or less. Download the app today and use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. New Year's is now in the rearview mirror. By now, some of the excitement about our New Year's resolutions may be dying down, much like my excitement for Chelsea Football Club as we get further and further into the season. If you're looking for performance apparel that can help give you the extra push you need to keep up with your health goals, Viore has you covered. Viore creates incredibly versatile and comfortable active wear designed to look great in everyday life in and out of the gym, or in my case, on or off the tennis court. Plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint by offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 and beyond. They are utilizing better sustainable materials for their products, empowering your best active life. With Viore, you can feel good about the things you buy and also how they are made. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash MIB. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash MIB. Not only Will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any US orders over $75 and free returns. Trust me, go to viore.com slash MIB and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Bedford, New York, and the crap part of West Hollywood, California, it's the Men and Blazers podcast. We're back like the Chicago Bears defense. How are you holding up in? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm glad you've got them. It's the only thing that's keeping me mildly sane at the moment. How are you holding up in Jeopardy land, David? Uh, it's it's good. It's, um, you know, I flew, as you know, I flew late last night and overnight the other night so it's the, the flying back and forth is a little tough but jeopardy is just it's inspirational um you know amazing team of writers um still working to get my roger bennett question in there uh want that on the board won't be holding my breath yeah no but it's a it's a, it's a phenomenal program i'm enjoying it roger thanks for asking do you feel that you are working on one of the crown jewels the old american do you have a sense of that or does it wear off and you immediately just in game show then well, right now, do I feel like I'm working on one of the crown jewels or when I go to work at Jeopardy later? Um, it's God a similar forbid. feeling, Rog. It's a similar feeling. Um, no, you do. You feel like you're working through, you know, a good part of television history. Um, there are even ways, it's hard to describe, there are turns they do. There are ways that they produce the show that are a throwback and direct the show that are a throwback to the earliest days of television. Um, and I love all of that old stuff. You know, it's like in Groundhog Day. You know, in Groundhog Day, Bill Murray gets pretty good at living that day. You know, they've been making this show for almost 38 years. And so they've got really good at making that show on a daily basis. And there are things that they do that other shows that have only been going a mere, you know, dozen or 20 years, they haven't quite got to that level yet. <laughs> Dave, a lot of football, a lot, a lot of football to unpack. For sanity's sake, we should dive right in because I've got a toast that I've got a feeling you will want to weigh in on. <laughs> okay, we are back on Spotify Greenroom this week at our regularly scheduled day and time 
of 7pm Eastern Wednesday. Come be with us, GFOPs. Fling us your questions and we'll tell you some lies. I'm not sure that's how it goes, Rog, but nonetheless, come join us for one of these interactive pods in which you have your chance to hear yourself on the pod this Wednesday. Just download the Spotify Greenroom app, search for Men in Blazers and People Not Groups because we're People Not a Group, turn on notifications and get involved. Price Picks is the best way to get action on sports in more than 30 states across the country, including some of my favourites, California, Texas and Georgia. Godspeed, Georgia. I'm hungry for a dozen lemon pepper wet. But back to Price Picks. We've been hearing from so many WGFOPs who are loving Double P, Pablo Picasso, Price Picks, which allows them to win up to 25 times their money for the soccer season. is a reason I do appreciate Price Picks because it's simple. During the Premier League match days, I've got roughly 239 tabs on my computer open as we attempt to work out our social media, the pod rundown, the upcoming interview, you get the drift. But because Price Picks is easy to play, I'm not having to constantly click to see how my gents are doing or how many certain actions are worth. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats and you place your entry. That is how easy it can be. You also mix and match players from several leagues across the globe. Luca De La Torre, I'm looking at you, as well as other sports like basketball oh, and hockey. Oh, the Capitals. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. It's promo code MIB. Prize picks. Pick more or pick less. It's that easy. Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath, then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Can you start us off with a twist, Rogelio? Oh, can Devo. Let me open this beauty. Cheers. Mm. I want to raise my first third bud of the day to the memory of the great Jimmy Greaves, a working class hero who became a star at Chelsea and then Spurs and always England, a true legend who passed away yesterday, aged 81, Greavesy. Well, Greavesy was a genius. Back in the black and white television era, a pure finisher, one of the most talented goal scorers of his generation. And nearly 50 years after he retired, nobody has scored more than his 357 goals in the top flight of English football. Netted 132 for Chelsea in 169 matches before moving to Tottenham and becoming really a club legend, all-time top scorer, 262 goals in just 379 appearances. Really Harry Kane before there was Harry Kane. And his life was also blighted by tragedy on and off the field, going into the 1966 World Cup in England. Greavesy was the automatic starter, but he picked up an injury in the group stage, lost his place to the now legendary Jeff Hurst, the man who famously went on to score a hat-trick in the final over West Germany. And in those days, this is this is how cool football was. Only the 11 players on the field at the end of the match received medals. And Greavesy said he was crushed for years to have missed out on this honour and all the glory that flowed from it. He was also terribly affected by the tragic death of his four-month-old son, Jimmy Jr., early in the 60s. 
He became an alcoholic and once told the Guardian, I lost the 1970s completely. They passed me by. I was drunk from 1972 to 1977. I woke up one morning, realized it was a different world. I'd been living in it, but I hadn't been aware of it. He really remade himself in the 1980s. He almost had a second life. This is how I came to know, and, and many uh, listeners, if you grew up in Britain in this time, Greavesy uh, became the host of a Saturday lunchtime preview show, Saint and Greavesy, in which a former Liverpool legend, Ian St. John and Greaves, previewed the weekend's games with such joy, such passion. It really informed an entire generation's joy and passion. We didn't know you were meant to just love every single second. And Lai used to say, it's a funny old game, was his catchphrase. And he had a huge influence on so many in Britain. Definitely me, undoubtedly you, Dave. Both of them seem so delighted to be able to publicly celebrate life, really. The, the, the two of them, it was a bit like Turner NBA coverage, Charles Barkley before there was a Charles Barkley. And even in death, the saint passed away earlier this year. The sense of delight and wonder they seeded in all of us will just live on. We pay our respects to the memory of an English original. What a footballer. Love watching him play. Seemed like such a big man, but he was only 5'8". Back in those <laughs> days, that was quite big for a footballer. Kick his head on everything, everything, everything. You know, one of the first people that really brought, you know, comedy and a sense of fun to football coverage. And that for me, Saint and Greasy, clearly so influential uh, on both of us. You know, it was the first entertainment program I ever saw about sports. Sports, you know, we didn't grow up with halftime shows or post-game shows. We grew up with very sort of tired analysis. And certainly what Saint and Greasy did was so different, so different than anything that had come before. Just honestly addressing football with, you know, pure fun and comedy. And that led down the road to shows like Padil and Skinner and, you know, Soccer AM and a lot of other shows that sort of came in the wake that were always so influenced by uh, by those two guys. So, yeah, he was, you know, that very rare um, person. I actually think the Charles Barkley uh, comparison is apt. You know, he was an elite footballer, a World Cup winner, um, a, you know, a, a English football legend who then became a broadcasting trailblazer, uh, really. And that's very, very rare. And a lot of what you watch today on NBC's Premier League coverage what happens with all the bants on Sky and uh, BT and CBS. It's not done as well as it was done by Saints and Greavesy, um, but they were certainly the first to do it and the influence on everything that came after. Thank you for the joy that they gave us. Two incredible pathfinders to their memory. Okay, Roger, to the football. Tottenham, nil. Chelsea, three. The Blues stay red hot, remaining one of the Premier League's early pace setters. After an opening half in which Spurs had the better of the game, the Chelsea responded with an impressive second half performance and oh, tactical player adjustment. Just four minutes after the restart, Thiago Silva gave them the lead with a sunning powered header. And a mere eight minutes after that, game-changing substitute and Golo Kante had a speculative effort. Karam off Eric Dyer and passed a helpless Hugo Lloris. Tony Rudiger added a third late on and Chelsea... Well, they go top of the table, level on points with Liverpool and United, but head of United on goal difference. And Liverpool, based on their head-to-head away draw, Nuno Spurs, meanwhile, dropped their second straight. Oh, pre-game, this was billed. Hype, hype, hype as Lukaku versus Harry Kane, which is a bit unfair. Like when you hype an NFL game by claiming it's quarterback against quarterback. As Barney Renee noted, Lukaku 
is that final piece in Chelsea's jigsaw. Harry Kane seems like the only piece in Tottenham's, which made it, I will say, bloody great to see Sonny back from injury, as well as Romero and Lo back from COVID isolation in Croatia. For Chelsea, Kepa replacing King Mendy out with a knock. But it was Spurs who seemed so energetic from the beginning, perhaps fueled by the return of Son in the open and characteristically bold. Under Nuno pressing, swarming forward inventively in the opening exchanges, driving a heavy leg looking Chelsea back, dominating possession for the first 10 minutes. It was bright, it was startling. Honestly, it reminded me of Arsenal in the first three games of the season, that kind of a start where you were just like, this is joyous, buzzing. But it was also misdirection for all that was to come. Yeah, I mean, London derbies always have an energy of themselves. You know, it always seems fueled by the fans and their, you know, don't like to use this word, but hatred of each other and, you know, anticipation of post-match bants down the pub. Um, and, you know, Tottenham definitely came out with more energy. And very often it's energy that wins these games. They were winning every 50-50 ball. They seem to be dispossessing Chelsea almost at will. They were recovering the ball. Final third recoveries. And it was, um, they were certainly the more impressive team. Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea, even when not playing with fluency, Actually, especially when not playing with fluency, they remind me of Medvedev when he came on our pod and told us that he realised he loves pain, he loves to suffer, and he likes to make, or he likes to explore, he likes to test whether his opponent can suffer. He, He always says, I believe I can suffer more. And that's what Chelsea do to opponents. They play with such intensity with such stifling movement, they're essentially saying, can you live with us? Can you, can you, can, can you participate at this kind of just level of commitment? And a substitution changed the answer to that question because, my God, what depth Chelsea have been able to bring on one of the world's best midfielders, Kante, to replace Mason Mount, a player who has seemed untouchable at times. I mean, that substitution sent so many messages, Davo, some to the rest of the league, some internal to the squad. But how did you process that? Well, I mean, I think Chelsea just weren't sinking up front, you know, more than anything else. And, you know, Mason Mount, who is usually their player who, you know, creates pressure on the opposition and wins the 50-50 balls and, you know, frankly, you know, motivates their their frontline movement. You know, he just seemed last couple of games, he's actually seen a little, you know, off his regular game. He'll come back. It's just, you know, form is, is, is very temporary. But you're right. Um Tuchel has so many weapons at his disposal. And as he said post-game, when you've got N'Golo Kante sitting on the bench and you realise that your first half performance isn't exactly what you wanted, there's a pretty obvious solution. Um, And the depth of this squad is terrifying. And one of the elements of the depth of the squad is that you never know where the goal is going to come from. And, um, you know, that's what undid Tottenham in the second half. Yeah, I mean, Tuchel said, we didn't change the system. That's maybe the whole point. It seemed we changed the system, but we just played with Kante with more belief, more energy, more quality, sharper. Whatever happened, Chelsea suddenly just took midfield by the throat. And from that point onwards, it was all Chelsea with those ageless (laughs) wingbacks just bombing forward. Spurs, overwhelmed, were suddenly tossed aside. 49th minute, Thiago off the corner. What a moment. Yeah, you said Marcus Alonso, who, frankly, he was not playing at wing back in the second half. I mean, he was playing, you know, in on the left wing for the entire time. <laughs> he was back. He wasn't back once, I think, during the whole 
during the whole game. Um, yeah, he knocks in. I mean, I would actually call that an innocuous corner. He just floats it in. He's not one of Chelsea's uh, regular, you know, corner kick takers. And floats it in. But Thiago just wins the kind of header you don't see many players ever uh, winning and puts it right in the corner. Battling two defenders. I mean, I said getting your head on the ball when you're doing that is one thing, but to guide it so sweetly is another. And you look at Thiago, just age 36 and 362 days, still such desire, such power. Chelsea's second oldest Premier League scorer ever after Drogba. What a human wonder. I did actually, watching this in replay, when I said I originally said he battled two defenders, I think Delhi <laughs> when Thiago had jumped over him, just yeah. the sight of him looking around confused long after the ball had gone into the back of Spurs' net was was pretty magnificent. But when you, when you watch, you know, every time Chelsea came forward, and it was true on this goal, the Spurs' bat line was so worried about Romelu and keeping him quiet there were so many defenders around him. There was so much room for the other players. In this case, two defenders and a defensive midfielder to come to feast. I mean, just that is Romelu in all of these goals to some degree, impacting the game in a way that stats don't show. And you have to say that, you know, Thiago, this was an extraordinary goal, an exceptional goal, um, so much harder than it, than it initially looked. And yet it was probably within my top 10 moments of Thiago in this game. It was probably, you know, (laughs) it's probably in the second five, maybe about six or seven. He just is so imperious again and again and again on the ball, in the air, winning things, finding his, his, his pass, finding his, his open man with the header back. Um, He is just what a footballer he is. What a joy he is to watch. It would get worse for Spurs within eight minutes. I mean, can take, you could say Spurs' defence failed to close him down. You could say the shot was speculative. Poor Eric Dyer. You can take the man out of Everton. You cannot take the Everton out of the man. Used as a backboard to deflect the shot past the confused Loris. Dave, there was still some time for some Timo Werner slapstick, but it was all done at that point. Yeah, poor Eric Dyer. Because he'd already blocked a very good one off the line from Marcus Alonso. Uh uh, this one, you know, not so fortunate. N'Golo Conte, you say speculative. I think every shot from N'Golo Conte is speculative. Um, yeah, Timo came on, he missed a few chances, but then made a fantastic um, cutback. But once again, in the space created by uh, Romelu Lukaku uh, for uh, his countryman, Antonio Rudiger, to put the ball in the back of the net. He became the 11th different Chelsea goal scorer this season. And wow. just a, a symbol, which it's just a reflection of what a ruthless machine your boys are really built to punish mistakes. And at the end of the day, you give Spurs an agony because they played quite well in that first half, especially defensively. But then when they made them, your Chelsea, they're poised to pounce. Yeah, so many goal scorers, so many, uh, so many good players, so many people still, you know, ready to come off the bench, including, you know, Christian Pulisic, who fantastic news seems to be um you know approaching back to uh match fitness um you know they're looking very good in a year in which frankly they're going to have to be very good uh if they're going to contend for the title they've certainly started very nicely i need to ask you once that midfield battle for supremacy was over early in the second half delhi really a passenger no creativity out the spurs midfield la celso mediocre just that sight of a frustrated Harry Kane dropping ever deeper in search of a ball into a Spurs midfield that really still misses Christian Eriksen. What you see when you watch Harry Kane, Davo, because Roy Keane on the English broadcast talked about him looking 
disinterested, just not not participating there in body, not there in mind. Do you really see that? I didn't really see that in this game. I think the one thing I really noticed in this game is that, you know, what Harry Kane tends to do when Tottenham are struggling or when they're trying to get back in a game is he drops a little deep, right? He drops back into midfield and tries to create from there. And in this game, Chelsea packed that midfield. I mean, you had Kovacic, Jorginho and Kante all playing together and there was just no room for him to get back there. There was just no chance. There was no time for Tottenham uh, on the ball. Um, and I think a lot of the problems for Tottenham are sitting in that central midfield area. I think that's where, you know, something's got to change. I think Deli Alley is a little off his game. You know, I don't think, you know, and Oliver Skip, I think he's a very good young player. I don't think he's quite there yet. Um, and they seem to be having some some issues, you know, just controlling things when they need to get on the ball. Um, Harry Kane, you know, I'm just... We've been too often proved wrong, you know, happened at the beginning of the Euros. He doesn't seem ready. And then he comes out and he starts scoring goals. You know, all of these, you know, Premier League seasons when, oh, he doesn't seem to score goals in August. And then he comes out and he just bangs them in in September. We've been proven wrong so many times. I I would wait a few weeks. You know, he's he's still sort of in preseason, Harry Kane. Uh, I would be reserving judgment for a while. I feel for him. I really do. This is a man who's made it clear he wants to challenge for a title. He wants to be in that top four. He wants to be in the Champions League. And this season, starting to feel as if he's as far away as ever. And his Spurs, a run of eight winless games against Chelsea now. That hurts. More time sensitive. Two 3-0 losses on the trot. No goals for Harry. Two shots on target as a team in the last two games. Nuno, no bomber jacket, no points. And Arsenal, oh my God, Premier League script writers, Arsenal incoming next weekend. My Lord, Spurs. I I I look at that turn in fortune, just humanly laughing. Was it it just three weeks into the season, they were top of the table, Arsenal were utterly bottom, that narrative, and now they face them. Payback, revenge game next weekend. Huge love, huge love to Spurs fans who are also Minnesota Viking fans this week. I feel your pain. <laughs> but, you know, that's the thing is at the beginning of the season, you know, you can go from top to mid-table to bottom so quickly uh, because there just haven't been enough games played. And similarly, Arsenal, you can go top to mid-table. And who knows? They're now thinking that they're in the European places. We'll see Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I think Chelsea uh, Chelsea won the Champions League last season. They're a much better team this year. Um, so I think they're going to win something this year. I hope it's not just the Carabao Cup. Um, I think they're very good. But I think it's a year, as I said earlier, in which they're going to have to be very good. We have, you know, three or four very, very good teams in the Premier League based on early evidence. And who knows, somebody can also come from those you know, five, six, seven positions to to challenge them. Um, but I think they're very good. Tuchel, God, he's won me over. I can say that. Uh, you know how uh, non-convinced I was about him <laughs> slash positively anti. Um, he's won me over. He just seems to be a step ahead. And the atmosphere within the squad, um, you know, just seems superb. Um, you just look at how, just look at the bench and look at how players on the bench are, are you know, are, are, are treating you know, every one header or every goal or every moment of celebration. 
And there is so much firepower. You know, Ben Chilwell, who last season was maybe the best left back in England. Remember his performance in the Champions League final? You know, he's not even making match day squads right now. It's a terrifying how many good footballers they have. Um, and uh, I think they're going to be there or thereabouts at the end of the season. German coaches are first five games of the season. The total kings this campaign. Tuchel and Klopp, 3 no wins every game apart from the ones they play against each other. I have to say, watching this Chelsea team, when they take the lead, feels like game over. Just constrict that field like a boa constrictor, yet to concede in open play this season. I think they've leaked just once that penalty at Liverpool. And one of the big themes of the season so far, the gulf between the title contenders and the chasing pack, the once aspiring teams, feels like it's never been wider. Roll on. Next weekend's epic Chelsea-Manchester City rumble. One of those chasing teams, West Ham United, uh, hosted Man United, one of the contenders. They lost 2-1, a roller coaster of emotions that tested the trigger finger of the London Stadium's bubble machine operator. The Irons took a 1-0 lead on 30 minutes when Saeed Benrahma's shot deflected of Rafael Varane and passed David De Gea. United hit back just five minutes later via Cronaldo, who followed up on his own rebound to stab past Lucas Fabianski. That set up a bonkers East London ending in which former West Ham loanee Jay Lings pinned, oh, such a beauty into the top corner to seemingly win it for United in the 89th minute. But in injury time, down the other end, West Ham were awarded a penalty for a Luke Shaw handball. David Moyes immediately exhumed and subbed in club legend Mark Noble, who saw his only kick of the ball saved by David De Gea. United get their fourth win in five games and paper over a midweek Champions League defeat to Swiss Super League outfit Young Boys. Surreal, drama-filled, exclamation point, telenovela of a game. One in which, if we cast our mind back, United entered after losing in midweek Champions League play, shockingly, to Young Boys, the the football team who are, well, let's just say never not funny. Home stadium, the Wankdorf training ground, <laughs> no doubt called something like the testes or the ball sack, but just a pun and meme generator rather than the football team, a loss which made those who want to doubt this Ole regime begin to do so, wondering whether United had really changed their fortunes by signing a 36-year-old Instagram influencer, Portuguese D'Amelio, and I will say it was very surreal watching Solskjaer trying to do damage control in the wake of that. Um, you know, asked by a journalist if he had a plan, a vision, an idea for how he wanted his United to play. He said the following, David. I think this is really fascinating, illuminating. It's going to be a theme for United this season. He said, sometimes we look too much into the intricacies and it's passion, it's desire, it's who wants to win the ball. Which one of the strikers has a desire to get on the end of crosses? And he also said this, you can talk about all sorts. It looks nice on paper, but when you go onto that pitch, it's who wants to win. That's one of the big things. You want winners, and I think I'm getting there with my team, team players. I mean, we talked about Tuchel. We talked quickly, and we'll talk more about Klopp. Let's just say it's a very different approach, this. Built on passion, winners, nostalgia, history. Yeah, and then you add Pep to that mix. Um, I mean, look, I don't think that any of those managers would say that passion isn't important or belief isn't important or that having a team of winners isn't important. But, you know, tactics definitely matter too. 
Um, and yeah, that is true. And your Man United strength is that they are a collection of extraordinary, extraordinary world-class players. Um, but you do sometimes look at that collection and you just think, how exactly are they trying to play football? And it's it's not evident at this point. It's going to probably take a little bit more time, especially bringing in a player like Ronaldo. But you know, right now, I think it would be hard for even the most ardent fan of Man United to describe their footballing style. Yeah, I do believe that there is a chance. This there is a scenario. I said that before this game, a one in ten chance. I'd actually up it to one in five after watching them do it again. That we just keep saying this week after week as United win and just say, God, they were not great, but they did it again in big moments. They emerged with three points. But let's relive how they did it in this truly bonkers game. Because West Ham came in with confidence of their own and beaten on the season. Kurt Zuma impressive in his West Ham debut and Vlasic Everton discard Vlasic flung into the Mikel Antonio roll up from United unleashed Cristiano Pogba Bruno and Greenwood with McFred in that midfield and dominated possession just thrashing diagonals towards Ronnie as Moyes really played Moyes Boyle shield in the back poised to pounce on any United mistake the tireless Jared Bowen who looks ever more like an English Taylor Twelman to me Wasted two fine early chances that a solid striker would have taken. One of the storylines of this game, how much West Ham missed Mikel Antonio out with suspension on this date. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, they just didn't have a focal point uh, of their attack. And yet they still, they they actually were the team playing with energy and passion and like they were a team of winners and really wanted it for, 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 for much of the game. And, you know, they found a way of causing Man United's uh, backline and defensive midfield problems throughout Bruno hit the post for United and the game became a battle for space and midfield domination in a way we all thought it would be it went exactly how we said it would United looking so good when they swarmed forward less confident when they were not in possession and so when West Ham worked the ball out to Benarama at the top of the area Pogba and Varon closed down the shot to block it huge Eric Dyeresh ricochet Davo was it one of those you don't shoot you don't piss off United and cause bubbles to flood the field in joy situs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they were, they they they, uh, they let the bubbles out too early. It was one of those uh, one of those moments. United responded by upping their intensity, charged at West Ham. I actually was quite impressed by United's response. It's what United tend to do on the road: concede and then come back. And that West Ham lead lasted less than five minutes. Ronaldo got on the end of a Bruno cross. You know, I think with a thicker line, might have been offside, but he uh, he hit it against Fabianski, who'd been excellent. We should say that that ball that hit the post earlier, it was an incredible fingertip save from <clears throat> from the Polish stopper. Uh, but Ronaldo is there to get his own rebound, of course. Of course he's there to get his own rebound. Yet another goal. Hey, he feels like he's already in double figures for United and he's been there a minute. Credit Bruno. What an arrow of a ball floated in towards... I mean, they are a bit like Portuguese Kane and Son of last season. <laughs> and Ronnie, it was a delicious flip with the outside of his right boot. Great save. But he could only knock it back to the Portuguese Kendall, who tapped the ball home, maintaining his record of scoring in every game since his return. I think it's four in three games so far into that second half. And the game, it did become staler the deeper it went, if we're being honest. West Ham in particular had played European football Thursday. Actually, United arguably looked more shattered. A ton of sloppy, sloppy passing, careless turnover in possession. Ole threw on Lingard as if he was reek. 
forcing him to turn on his old side as West Ham fans sang, he wants to come back, he wants to come back, Jesse Lingard, he wants to come back, a chant which really only reinforced how much they really need a finisher as Jared Bowen continued to squander their best opportunities. There was a bit of Ronaldo diving in the area. First one was a classic, Ronaldo throwing his arms into the air like, do you know who I am? After which... West Ham realised they could do whatever they wanted to him and not be called. I mean, two fairly <laughs> stone-cold penalties not given, which is was remarkable in its own right. But when United needed a hero, Davo, 89th minute, they got one from, a, from an incredible mood swing of a place. Yeah, and you know Jesse Lengard, for the second time this season, just managed to make space for himself in the area and you know just really get something on a shot. And it, you know, it was one of those moments when... When you saw him get the ball, you just didn't think that he could do anything with it. And then all of a sudden, the ball is curling into the top corner. Fantastic uh, finish. One of very few genuine non-celebrations in Premier League history. We've discussed that before. And uh, wow, Man United back in front. Such feelings Jay Lynx must have had after the venom spewed his way post-Young Boys disaster, in which it was his back pass gifted the Swiss a winner to score at the death against the club which rejuvenated your career. I mean, football is incredible because it captures all of the emotions, often as in this one, in the very same second. And I was reminded of Jaylen's comments to me when he came on our show at the end of last season. He said, in different walks of life, people are going through different things. I think don't be quick to judge people. And I thought about that life truth in this moment, but it wasn't over there. We did not know it was the winner when it flew in because there was late, late, late drama. West Ham winning a penalty. Mm, I don't mean penalty-ish, a cross hitting the outstretched arm of Shaw from, for me, a ridiculously close range distance in the 92nd minute. Based on other things that, you know, happened this weekend, I mean, you talked about the non-calls on, on Ronaldo. There was a non-call in the in the Leeds-Newcastle game that seemed pretty acute as well against, against Dan James. So, yeah, I was a little shocked. But, you know, I think the referees are trying to find the line this year uh, in, a, in every part of the laws of the game. Um, but, look, it was a penalty. They got it at home. And at that point, you thought, here we go, 2-2. Two, two. Yeah. For a moment. But then, what, what, what a piece of decision-making. Because penalty one, David Moy subs on Mark Noble. Old and cold for what would be his only kick of the ball. Oh, as he trotted on, I was like, yeah, this is going to be great. Just a decision that proved to be bad. It proved to be FIFA World Cup every two years bad. This summer, uh, after the Euros, every single, you know, newspaper columnist and, uh, you know, British pundit on TV had, and on radio had decried the fact that substitutes came on at the end of the England game who had not kicked a ball in their first action was to kick a penalty experts on on penalty taking in football said yes this is a this is a mistake you know players got to warm up that can't be their first action in the game david moyes seems to have completely ignored all of that and so that there was a sort of a lingering doubt in my mind but then you look the experience of mark noble it must be because he just knocks them in every single time in training and everybody else on the west ham squad must be appalling at taking penalties and there was no other choice for the scotsman yeah i mean it was remarkable noble has missed four of his previous 31 penalties in the premier league which is a fantastic record but you know the tony morrison once said anything dead coming back to life hurts and so it was 
West Ham fans are unable to stop this unspooling madness. That's what I thought about when I watched him walk to the spot like a Minnesota Vikings kicker in the last second of a game, then smash the ball wide right, wide right, wide right. David De Gea, huge save. By the way, when we're talking about stats, David De Gea, Noble doesn't miss. David De Gea does not save penalties. This was his first penalty save for club or country since including shootouts, including bloody shootouts, since April 2016. I mean, that was ball don't lie moment or watching Mark Noble's hair oil and ball don't lie. I mean, Bobby Valentine, I used to watch him coach the Mets and he was never happy in victory unless he could do something, a flourish, a managerial decision, a double switch at the end Mm. so that the newspapers would write about, oh, a great decision by Bobby Valentine, move the momentum to the Mets way. And this was... This was one of the worst pieces of overthinking I've seen in a long, long time, David. Look, you've been more of a David Moyes observer uh, during his career than I have. I mean, is this something you've seen before? I mean, Everton never had anyone that could reliably finish a penalty, so I don't think it was... (laughs) (laughs) It was in like his 87 years at the club. I don't think it was really a a trick he had in his locker. What was fascinating, at Everton, Moyes would often root moments and would admit he was always quite noble. I mean, the sight of Moyes just shattered uh, post-defeat, often pulling a defeat out of the jaws of victory against a big team. That was very common. But he'd often admit ruefully where he went wrong. In this one, he really stuck to his decision. He said, Noble has a superb record. It's my job. It's my decision. A massive miss, just enormous. As Ole noted in his post-game comments, he said, it's always the outcome that determines the narrative that, is football and it's so bloody true right David yeah yeah always you know people won't people will remember the Jesse Lingard winner from this game they will not remember um the penalty that could have tied it enormous win ultimately to win at West Ham I think this season is going to be a supremely impressive feat even if the performance which as you say we'll probably forget now because of the scoreline was not but what a massive what a massive narrative changing miss by West Ham Ole was able to walk up to the giddy United faithful post-game in the away end after the final whistle and just raise his arms in glory. My God, I mean, it was stodgy fare down the stretch. United fans were were poking their eyes out watching their inability to, to, to really control the game. But the win takes Manchester United two-third, level on points with Chelsea and Liverpool, just goal difference separating them. Dave, are they lucky because they're good? Or are they good because they're lucky? Ultimately, you decide. Yeah, I mean, some luck has something to do with it for every team during the course of a of a of, of a long season. I think they're good because they've got so many good players. I think what we talked about earlier that the um, the lack of comparatively compared to you know certainly you know masterclasses that we saw from Jurgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel this weekend, um, and what we know we're going to see from Pep going forward this season, um, where they appear you know, slightly sub the challenges of um, of their crosstown rivals um, and Liverpool and Chelsea right now are just in the, you know, identity of how they play football department. And that's going to be fascinating to see whether that changes. Okay, talking of Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool three, Crystal Palace nil. Despite Palace going close early on via Wilf and Christian Benteckers, Liverpool wind up blasting three past the South London side. Sadio Mane's 100th Liverpool goal in all competitions. A Mohamed Salah goal that saw him unleash that sculpted Egyptian torso and a Nabi Keita screamer. They helped the Reds claim their fourth win in five league games. Nige... Oh, he must have had the Bennett family group chat humming during this one, Rog. 
Oh, but hopes were so high for a shock ahead of this one. It was a swaggering Crystal Palace that descended into Anfield, fresh off scalping, previously unbeaten Tottenham. Facing a makeshift Liverpool backline, Sean of both Robbo and Trent. A game feisty Milner. What a performance. And Samikas at fullback. And Palace opened without fear, whirring in a Gallagher inspired fury at Liverpool. Canate, I've got to say, a unit to repel the lumbering power of Benteke as Liverpool sought to rampage on the break. Klopp, after the game, and I thought this was telling, he said this is one of the most hard fought 3 nils ever. Palace. He said, "Was so much better than the scoreline suggests, and it's true, Davey. They were yeah, audacious. They were, they were confident. You, you think about how they were under Roy when they would have sat deep, deep, deep in this kind of a game. Front foot. For somebody who's watched Crystal Palace quite a lot over the last few years, um, it's nice to watch a manager make substitutions and and play a lot of members of the squad. Um, and yeah, they play with ambition, um, and they're going to, you know, a lot of people had." you know, Palace in trouble going into this season. I think they're going to be very, very, very good again. And it took just a great moment of Liverpool execution to propel the Reds into the lead. Rise up, Sadio Mane. You know, from the corner, I think it was Mo Salah with the header, Rog. And that ends up with Mane. Mane, an instinctive, instinctual, whatever that word is, finish. Uh, and they go 1-0 up. And it is what they deserved at the end of that first half. Sadio Mane hates Crystal Palace. Even more than Brighton fans hate Crystal Palace. Nine time he scored against the Eagles. A new record. First player in Premier League history to net in nine consecutive top flight matches against the same team since Robin Van Persie did it against Stoke. Mane, 100th goal, all comps. Following Salah last week, reaching 100 goals in the Premier League. Ultimately... Both milestones back-to-back. A tribute to Jurgen Klopp is two makeshift goal machines from the flanks. A symbol of the bold, thrilling football that he's given Liverpool fans over the past six years. Yeah, it was Salah who doubled the score in the 78th minute. As soon as Mane scored, you just saw Mo Salah's body language change. He wanted a goal (laughs) like Augustus Glute wants Chocolate River. Or FIFA wants that World Cup every two years. He he sniffs chances like an yeah. Italian truffle dog likes truffles, and it was amazing <laughs> to watch know. him, Davo. Just uh, just just the very essence of the man, an apex predator reacting first and fastest. He's like a Modio to Jeopardy world, Davo. Yeah, he. <laughs> thank you for that reference. The great Matt Modio continues his streak this week on Jeopardy. He's like um, a Modio with very very nice set of abs, indeed. Yeah, exactly. We, we, Matt Amodio hasn't ripped off his shirt at the end of an episode yet, so we, so we can't say for sure. Get um, on it, Davo to the right of you. Lads, <laughs> I've got an idea for the Amodio exactly. storyline. Um, so, you know, Salah, is it just me, or is he getting even quicker? His footwork looks... I mean, I know he's been compared in certain circles to Messi, but his footwork does look Messi-like um, on the edge of and inside the area. His just speed of thought, his speed of movement, his speed of... Uh, of, of direction change. It's just, it seems to have gone next level. 3-0, even Naby Keita lad scored. Well done, Naby lad. A fine thrashing volley. Liverpool, written off by so many ahead of the season. No heavy spending compared to the other big contenders in the transfer window. I actually posted an article in my newsletter from, from a, a website called Dean Magazine. It's really worth looking at. It's called I Spent the Summer Fascinated by a Breed of Tremendously Fatalistic Online Liverpool Fans that presents itself as liking football but seems to find no joy in it. And it's really 
about football fans who just <laughs> spend their whole time moaning about everything, like lack of transfer spend or when players are injured. Of course they're injured. Our, our medical staff are terrible. Missing players. You know, just we should have brought this one. Moan, moan, moan. And this is not a Liverpool knot because every club has the, that kind of niche of a culture. But it is really fascinating to read and understand some fans at this point, aided by social media, do just like football for the moaning and God, you know, this piece really dug into Liverpool's culture. The sky's always falling. It isn't this week, at least Liverpool keep on keeping on uh, in truly magnificent fashion and lovely, lovely news from Liverpool to cap it. Young Harvey Elliott expected to play again before the end of the season after oh, successful fantastic. surgery in London midweek. Yeah. Brilliant. Rog. Okay. We're going to be back in a moment after this quick word from the GFOPs at Policy Genius. It's Rog here to tell you about a product that I simply adore. It's been a long time staple in the Bennett refrigerator, Stoke Cold Brew Coffee. Always bold, always smooth. Yes, that is the very same Stoke as in the mighty Wrexham Fortress, known as the Stoke Kairas or the Stoke Racecourse, Wrexham AFC's home. They support it, they support football, which is just one great reason to love this coffee. It is my go-to enjoy during the football calendar, essentially the opposite of Everton. And you can check out their full lineup of 48 ounce cold brew products, seven for everybody, from light to dark roast to seasonal favourites in a refrigerated multi serve format. I tell you this, as someone whose blood type is now officially Stoke Espresso Blend, have the coffee house experience at the comfort of your own home and do it now. Stoke Cold Brew Coffee and be sure to follow Rexham AFC. Big love to all at Stoke. Courage. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits, business and swim. You know with your Delta SkyMiles Business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. Okay, Manchester City nil. Southampton nil. City might have saved a few goals from their 6-3 Champions League shootout win over Leipzig for this one. Their fans, however, answered the bell after Pep Guardiola's midweek comments asking for a bigger turnout at the Etihad, but the team could not break through. Didn't even register a shot on goal until the 90th minute. City dropped points for the first time in four league games. Rabbit Hutch, meanwhile, still trying to make the father of the bride look happen. <laughs> oh, it's awful, that vest. And after four draws in five games, appears determined to do this thing one point at a time. Oh, at Dan Wear Shirts tweeted us and said, Ralph Hassenhuttle in his waistcoat, looking like he's about to mix me up a rye Manhattan. Mmm, <laughs> rye Manhattan. We've got to get into the big picture story at City, which I don't understand, and I'm really interested to get your take on. Pep Guardiola, post-game left to admit he felt, quote, guilty after, oddly, my words, waging a civil war against Manchester City's diehard fan groups. And if you missed the slightly surreal narrative of club guru versus hardcore fans, you know, the stadium was not full midweek for City's Champions League game. And Pep called for more support during the ire of the City faithful. I need to know, David, you know, we've talked about this season, how City, despite coming on after the opening day damp squib of a loss against Tottenham, which feels like it was years ago, 
you know, they've won imperiously, but really stayed below the radar compared to your Chelsea's and your Manchester United. Do you understand why Pep decided to reinsert himself into the tabloid press cycle in the wake of what was a 6-3 win over Leipzig? City were fantastic, demanding supporters turn up in force for this game and then arguing publicly back and forth with the general secretary, who I felt terrible for, the general secretary of City's official fan club, who who told him to stick to coaching. Oh, I mean, look, it's a no-win situation. When you take on your fans... Um, about how, you know, passionately they support the team. You know, remember Jose Mourinho did it at Chelsea um, and got a lot of criticism for, you know, criticising the way that, you know, it was at Premier League weekends versus how it was at midweek Champions League nights. Um, And it's just a no-win situation. You are never going to win that battle. It's never going to make anybody feel good. And yeah, I was incredibly surprised that he waded into that one. When I watched it, I was like, my God, it must be so exhausting being Pep. You know, there's a there's a Martin Scorsese quote that someone sent me after I named my dog after Martin Scorsese. Scorsese once said, your job is to get your audience to care about your obsessions. And that is Pep. So obsessive, you know, so perfectionesque in his approach to life and football, even in scoring six midweek. He spent a lot of the game screaming at Riyad Mahrez publicly. And when you are that kind of person, the glass is always, always half full. It's a grinding way to live a life. And I think with Pep, that's what we see sometimes, just the, the frustration. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing there must be some loneliness in genius, some loneliness uh, in perfectionism, some loneliness in the way he sees, sees the footballing world. And that, I, I'm not sure if it was a a strategic decision to take on the fan group. And then it bled through to this on the field. The City that have won their last three home games 5-0, welcoming Ralph Hampton, who they blasted 14 goals against in two visits last season. But this was a completely different City performance. Sluggish, the build out the back, off. And Southampton, it should be said, they were not passive. They unfurled a fine, collective, defensive steal, dared City to break them down, played intelligently on the counter. Um, and City both could not break them down. And that, that big decision, the 60th minute, Dave, I don't know what you saw. Adam Armstrong, to me, cut down in the box by Kyle Walker. Penalty and red card uh, by John Moss. It, 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 was, it was a penalty. The red card we can debate, but it was a penalty. Yeah, it was late. He made the lunge and he never touched the ball. Um, and he brought down the man. So I don't know how. I mean, it's difficult because... <laughs> You know, VAR is only meant to overturn clear and obvious errors. This was John Moss himself overturning his own clear and obvious error. So obviously he must have seen something different in the monitor than he thought he saw with his eyes at the time. That's the only thing I can can think. But still what he saw was a penalty. Um, It just was strange. Kyle Walker didn't touch the ball. Did not touch the ball. I really... I mean, I, did, I, I hate to go to the next, oh, big team bias, but the, there was nothing clear and obvious about an error in that original decision. City, after that reprieve, up the intensity in the last quarter, flinging on KDB and Foden, but credit Southampton. Really, really fantastic performance. They stood firm, four draws out of five for the Saints, but it was City who were truly frustrated by the end of it. The goalless draw... Only the second time in 41 home games that Pep's lot have failed to score. Can we, Davo, reserve the right to reevaluate City's lack of a true striker on a game-to-game basis? <laughs> they seem to do okay midweek without one. 
Uh, Burnley nil, Arsenal won. The Arteta sense continues to flourish for a second straight 1-0 victory over perennial bogey club Burnley. The difference was made this week in the 30th minute when Martin Udegaard stepped up to a free kick after Ashley Westwood chopped down Bakaya Saka on the edge of the box. The Norwegian curled his effort over the Burnley wall and passed Nick Pope, his first for Arsenal since his North London derby strike in March. And speaking of the North London derby, as you've already mentioned, Arsenal hosts their North London neighbours next weekend. Arsenal's season of dreams continues. The journey from worst to first. You could not write a script like, oh, it's happening, David. Two wins in a week. This one, a mixed performance, but we can't all be Everton and blast three past Burnley. The first half, commentators critiquing what they called Arsenal's pointless possession. But it seemed to me like a good decision by Arteta, allowing his boys to control the game, reduce the amount of duels the defence would have had to face. Odegaard particularly sprightly, ahead of Partey, locking down the back. Odegaard, in his flow, when he feels confident, he's one of those footballers who seems so unbothered by his opponent's press. And having Ben White in the team brings that self-sabotaging dependency on Xhaka to be the one to get the team flowing. And I praise the Slashdo one, but his creativity really overshadowed muted games for Pepe, Smith-Rowe and Saka. Aubameyang couldn't manufacture a shot for long periods and it needed a Marty Party moment of true quality on the half hour to secure the points. What a pinpoint banger. Odegaard, you know, they they are so desperate, as we all know from our Arsenal supporting friends, they're so desperate for a player to get behind. And for this week, maybe it's Odegaard. Yeah, and Burnley, second half, i got to credit Arsenal. They went warpig, proper warpig. And by the way, GFOP Henry Pfeiffer sent me a tweet from historian Don J. Robertson who cleared up a long-standing piece of pod confusion. Uh, Don J. Robertson tweeted, Warpigs were pigs used in ancient warfare as a countermeasure, Davo, against war elephants. They oh. were covered in oil, set on fire. This sounds awful. Covered in oil set on fire and then driven towards the enemy so that their squeals would panic the elephants and cause them to rampage, trampling their own side, which is good to know because that was pretty much Burnley's second half approach. Oil, <laughs> fire, rampage. I was thinking uh, Steve Bruce can't, uh, can't try that tactic at Newcastle for obvious reasons. Lads, I'm going to set you on fire. Just, just play it out with me. It'll work, lads. It worked for the Romans. You know, we don't say this often, that Burnley approach, just cross after cross to Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes, I think 35 crosses pinged at them, um, repelled with Gabriel, just so impressive. And Tommy Yasu stepping up also. Yes, it was nervy down the stretch. Arteta threw on Lekonga, who also glimmered. Uh, but you saw at the final whistle what it meant. Ramsdale storming out to hug Gabriel like there was no tomorrow. Arteta walked onto the field, gave Tommy Yasu a slap across the face, a slap of joy, Louis van Gaal style And you can see, Dave, there is more fight left in this Arsenal team than was previously imagined. Back-to-back yeah. 1-0 wins. Yeah, when their backs were against the wall and they're showing some pride, which their fans must be enjoying. Yeah, I mean, I must say, watching this Arsenal team emerge from Turf Moor with a clean sheet, Aaron Ramsdale's third straight, should be noted, proves that they may have cojones the size of a Minaj cousin. And the pressure continues to lift. It was fantastic to witness. Roll on next weekend's North London derby. Yeah, to clarify, I think that was the cojones of a Minaj cousin's friend. 
Anyway, Brighton <laughs> 2, Leicester 1. The Seagulls win their fourth game of this young season in a controversial affair on the South Coast. Brighton took the lead on 35 minutes when, after Neil Mope popped a quick armbar on Yannick Vestergaard and the Dane handled the ball while going to ground, Mope converted a penalty. They doubled the lead with a wonderful 50th minute Danny Welbs header. Oh, I love Danny Welbs. But the Foxes fought back, found a goal through. Who else? That port-fueled poacher, Jamie Vardy. Late on, VAR denied Brodgers mob not one, but two late equalisers, both for perceived goalkeeper interference by Harvey Barnes. And five 38ths into the season, that does not reduce. Brighton are in the top four with two more points than Manchester City. Massive win for Brighton, who really, Leicester, were their first true opponent of the campaign and and they emerged again with all three points even though they had a lot of luck almost as if the fortune and breaks that they were denied for the entirety of last season had been paid forward way early in this one and it's got to be said the result was bloody cruel on Leicester that first Brighton goal never a penalty Mope was holding Vestergaard's arm when he unballed it there were two equalizers for Leicester Vardoff Def the second one for obstruction on the goalkeeper uh, I think it was Barnes. Uh, it seems so bloody harsh. And after being denied twice by VAR, only a matter of time before the Brodge challenges VAR to a game of chess to settle a man versus machine debate once and for all. In Brodge's mind, VAR is Kasparov and he's deep blue. <laughs> Look at me now. <laughs> Wolves nil, Brentford two. Thomas Frank's bees continue their feel-good start to the season, earning their first Premier League road win. They went ahead on 28 minutes when after being literally tackled by Wolves middle linebacker Marcel. Ivan, Tony hit home from the spot. Brentford struck again just six minutes later, this time Tony hitting up his strike partner, Brian Umbo. And despite Adama Traore making the crossbar beg for mercy and CONCACAF's Shandon Baptiste being sent off for an absurd rugby tackle, Brentford hold on to make it eight points from four games. Wolves, meanwhile, are handed a fourth loss, their third at home. Yeah, Brentford, credit them. Rebounding from their late, late, late loss to Brighton. Emerging dominant from seven minutes of madness. The B scored twice and Traore hit the bar for Wolves in between. Tony, who at times looks unplayable and has already been talked up for an England call-up and his French strike partner Mbau both found the back of the net and then Brentford held on during 26 long minutes with 10 men after the sending off of Shandon Baptiste leaving Wolves well just their immense possession and their immense wastefulness in front of goal they they didn't so much as manufacture a single shot on target in that time Traore I love watching him he's almost surreal just beating man after man then hammering cross after cross way over everyone's head the man is like part elite athlete part slapstick comedian he is box office honestly impossible to take your eyes off but his Wolves third straight home defeat to start the season Brentford important win before they face a brutal gauntlet of games Liverpool West Ham Chelsea Leicester up the bees Newcastle won, Leeds won the Geordie remake of Friday Night Lights with Steve Bruce in the coach Eric Taylor role. And after falling behind to a 13th minute Rafinha crot that found its way past Carl Darlow in the tune goal, Alain Saint-Maximin stepped up to save his manager's Birken like a French Matty Saracen. His balletic run and assassin's finish one minute before halftime saw the tune snatch their second point of the season from sporting KC blue clad Leeds United. An injury hit Leeds versus Alain Saint-Maximin, who ran at his opponents, oh. one versus 11, always fancying his chances. I'd say, I look at him playing like Newcastle without him, one 
shudders to think, especially as the team play their football to a soundtrack of their own fans singing, we want Bruce out, and this draw means both Newcastle and Leeds still do not have a Premier League win between them. Yes, yeah, so Maximan, who was the player of the weekend in the Premier League for me? Norwich one, Watford three. The Canaries remain winless through five games after facing the red clad horns. Every colour of a stoplight was on display in this one, Rog. An Emmanuel Dennis header and a Timu Puki goal had things level into the second when Senegalese Ismail Assar tallied twice to give Cisco Munoz's side their second win of the season. Josh Sargent started. But it was Watford Saar who put on a finishing clinic, out-muscling Norwich's feeble bat line. And even poor Billy Gilmore looks lost in a midfield oh, that Billy doesn't Gilmore revel lost. in possession. The frustration for poor Norwich fans. It just must be, must be immense to repeat the same mistakes as the ones that doomed them last time round. But worse, Norwich have now lost 15 Premier League games on the trot. They remain pointless in every sense of the word. And finally, Roger, oh. Aston Villa 3, your Everton, nil. Three Villa goals in nine second half minutes. Hand your mob their first Premier League loss of the season, Roger. A cashy keg stand of a strike, a Luca Digne own goal and a Leon Bailey Jamaican blast send. Martin Scorsese, the dog, not the director, for a Saturday afternoon sad nap. First loss and since he's been alive, Martin Scorsese. He's never watched Everton lose before. <laughs> I don't doubt he watched this one. Oh, he did. He did. He reveled. He turned he, away. He said, I love the first 66 minutes of the Kazoo Twins derby. Everton facing up to post-Grealish Villa. Without our spine, it should be said. Terrible injuries. No DC. I mean, when, they, when, when Everton put up the team sheet for this game, people thought they were taking the piss. No Rich Arlison, no Seamus Coleman, no Jordan Pickford. No, I guess, Hamez, if you still count him as mm. an Evertonian. Everton still paying the price for victory against Burnley. Richarlison, that foul by Tarkovsky at the end of that will prove costly. He and Picky and Sheamus are expected to be out for two to three weeks. Bit grim for a thin squad. Still, Everton gamely took the field in their slightly hmm, inventive third strip, which looks like they are everyone's favourite Eredivisie team. And it was Hammer and Tongs Villa. From the off, threatening from some... Uh, this is what I want to talk to you about. Some just deeply avant-garde set-pieces. They looked dangerous. They looked inventive. They brought in a set-piece coach, a gentleman called Austin McPhee, a Scot, who'd specialised, I believe, he'd, he'd <sighs> taken on the role at FC Micheland. And I honestly don't understand, Davo, why more teams do not in this, you know, in this sl- tiny margins of competitive advantage world that we are living in, in sports, why they do not create more complex set pieces uh, as Aston Villa did in this game. Now, Austin McPhee, it sounds like a character from Harry Potter. Yeah, Aston Villa play great football. You know, we spoke after, you know, Chelsea beat them 3-0. Was it last weekend, weekend before? That they were, you know, that they so dangerous. They, that the scoreline flattered Chelsea, flattered the Blues, that Aston Villa creates so many chances. They're so dangerous off set pieces. And this all came to fruition against Everton. Yeah, when Leon Bailey came on on 61 minutes and changed everything. I actually tweeted when he took the field, he's going to do us. Guaranteed he's going to do us. CONCACAF, Thunder and and the young Jamaican did. Just running rampant and especially contrasted to Everton's change, bringing on the unbelievably leaden-footed cumbersome Gomes who made them so much lesser. My God, 
it was it was Leon Bailey's pace. It was his ambition. It was a sudden turbo that Everton could not match. Just Q. I, I still don't know what hit me, Davo. Three goals in nine minutes, 12 seconds. Could have been the worst nine minutes of your life, Rog. Uh, I was feeling for you. Barely scratched the top 100, mate. But the, <laughs> I mean, the, the truth is, just Matty Cash in a game that cried out for a true moment of quality, cutting inside Dina and just letting loose, reeling away in true abullient joy. Matty Bloody Cash looking like a dollar store Jack Grealish, tight shorts, tiny shin pads, same hairband. You know, it's a, what I can't work out was, do you think he found one of Jack's discarded hairbands on the floor when Jackie G left and said, don't worry, lads, I can be him. Or do you think he's he brought his own supply? I think he's realised that it, his only path to £100 million is unlikely to be um, the quality of his football from right back. It's probably going to be, you know, just starting to look a little bit like Jack Grealish. I can be your stunt double, Jackie. At CFC Hot Take said, oh, no, 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 no. This is very much a Highlander. There can only be one situ. I will say... The most classic Everton stat of the season, Matty Cash ended a run of 42 appearances without a goal dating back to Feb 2020. You know, it would soon be two. Leon Bailey's cut on a corner that Dina headed back past his own keeper. Watching that goal on TV, Davo, I actually imagined Jordan Pickford watching at home and just screaming, Got it, lads! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think he would have got any closer. And then that final Leon Bailey goal was just a thing of beauty. Mate, it was a thing of beauty that made me realise I'm a Premier League Cassandra, gifted with the power of prophecy and seeing only my own death. You know, having the power to see darkness, it's not what it's cracked up to be, I've got to say. But what a feeling for the young Jamaican. He's just 24. He's had, you should look up his journey, dear listeners, tons of articles written about him. A long, long slightly unbelievably hard grinding march from Kingston filled with twists and turns, bold leaps, Slovakian youth academies, frightening dark sides, including when his adopted father and agent was kidnapped and savagely beaten uh, while trying to sign uh, Bailey for a Belgian club. And for him to make it in such an emphatic way with the world watching, it must have been incredibly moving for him. Seems to be ending really uh, wonderfully for him. And he's, he's found a great situation uh, at Aston Villa. Who need him? They need him. And he delivered and provided before limping off. Benjamin Landry, GFOP, wondered if Kazoo had forced Everton to sign some kind of non-compete clause oh, in the sponsorship. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run with that because that's how bad their second half will was. Aston Villa proved to themselves there will be life without Jack Grealish. Everton fans, God love them. Many of them immediately turned on Rafa. A feeling of resentment, I'd say, that's probably been brewing since his appointment. Let's be honest. Do coax a solid performance for two-thirds of a game with two-thirds of a squad. However, I will say this. I felt at the final whistle, just shattered, just just dark. Just No matter how much football I watch, I watch a lot. No matter how cynical and jaded I am, which is very... The first loss of a season, David, yeah. which you won't know. You won't know this, but the no. first loss of a season... Still bloody hurts. Just like when I was a kid, it used to crush me. You you dream. And then suddenly having that irreversible, jarring, numbing realisation that your sporting gods have clay feet. It was just devastating. No, you wrote about it on Twitter and I completely related. You know, Chelsea will lose a game this season. And um, first losses are always difficult to take. It is. It, you're right. It's like it's the... Um, it's the inevitable rainy day that comes at the end of all these sunny ones. It's just it, it's just there and, and we all relate to it. 
Onwards and sideways, Blues fans. Onwards and <laughs> sideways. And one bright piece of news, James Rodriguez. The Colombian is said to be in Qatar to negotiate with Alorayan and end this briefly, fleetingly happy, then very, very sad spell for all concerned at Everton Football Club. But he'll be taking his wand with him. Okay, until then, <laughs> can we get one final toast with that exclamation point in a bottle? Jägermeister to bring us home. I raise this shot of Jägermeister, a bolt of human emotion in a shot glass and the official shot of our pod to Paris Saint-Germain and their big decision of the week. And I don't mean Pochettino subbing a forlorn Messi out in the 76th minute after another frustrating performance. It's, it's bloody hard to play with three elite forwards, none of whom are particularly big on the tracking back thing. And it needed a 93rd minute winner from another Argentinian Mauro Icardi to lock up the points and make it six wins in six for Pochettino's side. No, the big decision I'm referring to is PSG's decision to restore Phil Collins' song, Who Said I Would, as the team's entrance music. The team has walked out to (laughs) Collins. I found this just mind-blowing. Paris Saint-Germain have walked out to Collins for 30 years before his... Song was hurriedly replaced by French producer DJ Snake's music, and even bloody DJ Snake complained and demanded Collins return. Regular <laughs> listeners know, let's just say I have a complicated relationship with Collins' work. Yeah, complex. But I do love the idea of Mbappe, Neymar, and Messi walking out to some of Phil's work. And I particularly love that in this era of petro money global football brands, not every decision. The team's owners want to make, you know, every tradition that they want to change can be forced through without a fight. Long live Collins. The world of football needs more Phil. Well, that's it for us. You can follow us on Twitter at Men in Blazers, at MC Davies, at Roger Bennett, on Instagram at Men in Blazers, at Embassy Davies. On Facebook, we are the Men in Blazers. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. You can send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. Vendorpunk, Rog. War pig! Was that a Rabona? I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria! Balls lose. To Tweed. Abrogado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu fight in America. Love you, Davo. Love you, Rog. Come back, Jordan Pickford. Got it, lads. <laughs> hey, Prime members. You can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Yo, Trey. Yeah, Kevin, what's up, man? I was just thinking, what would have happened if Drew Brees didn't fail his physical with the Dolphins and ended up playing under Nick Saban in Miami? There's a good shot the Finns establish a dynasty. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick probably don't become goats, and Tuscaloosa doesn't become the center of the college football universe. That's a butterfly effect for real. Hey, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. We're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Sorry, Marshawn, still too soon. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.